let's get it. Monday, March 29th, 2021, Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I'm your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope you all had a great week outside of podcast land. It is my personal 100th episode of hosting Born the Battle. You know, way back in episode 134, when my predecessor Tim asked me what Tanner, what Tanner Iskra's Born the Battle was going to look or sound like, you know, I know I gave some answer that probably sounded smart or probably sounded dumb. Uh, but in my head, I had no idea. I was, I was like, okay, what is this going to look like? Um, so I hope within the past 100 episodes that I've figured out a show that you can appreciate and take something away from. And I've had a blast. I've, I've had conversations with some incredible veterans. I've been inspired countless times by our guests and have learned a lot with our benefits breakdowns. And Tim, if you're still listening, I've got only 34 more to go to pass you. Past couple weeks, uh, we've been celebrating it, letting you know it's coming up, but today is Vietnam Veterans Memorial Day. If you haven't yet, please seek out a Vietnam veteran today. Give them a hearty welcome home or thank you as it's unlike my generation. It's something they didn't receive by either the government or by the community when they came home. And many of them have made it their mission to ensure that the following generations never felt or never feel the same thing they did. So if you're a Vietnam veteran, thank you for all that you've done for me and mine. Welcome home. And I appreciate you. Couple ratings, one new review this week. This one is from Mojave Rick. Love the name, by the way. Mojave Rick gives five stars and says, this is a great service for veterans. Thanks for keeping us informed. I'm four years out of a 31-year career, and I still feel like I'm in transition. This is a nice way to stay informed on veteran issues and hear stories of inspiration. Keep up the good work. You're not alone, Mojave Rick. I think I've heard from somewhere. I I can't cite the source right now, but I think they read somewhere that for every year that you were in, it takes a half a year to to readjust. Um, And I understand that. I, I went through a lot of that myself. Uh, back in episode 140, one of my first episodes, uh, Danny Chung, Marine Corps veteran, uh, he's now the chief of staff for Microsoft's military affairs program. He said pretty much the same thing that you did. A couple episodes later, uh, Navy veteran Stephen Hawley, CEO of uh, Carry the Load, he talked about how he didn't think that that feeling will ever go away. And I think that's okay. I, I think both are right. I think that the military has forever changed us uh, through a shared experience. And I think that's what bonds us. And again, I think it's, it's okay. Again, you're, you're not alone. As always, appreciate the feedback every week. If you're so inclined like Mojave Rick, please feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's not only a good way to communicate directly with our podcast here. It helps get Born the Battle recognized by more veterans in podcast land that are out there listening to other podcasts at the same time through, through different algorithms and stuff. Okay, before news releases... You know, I normally don't interject in the discussions within our veteran community anymore. Uh, Most are politically charged and politics, you know, frankly, isn't to be involved in what I do here. Part of my job 
is, and I, and I realize I have a political coming on, but he's big daddy sec VA, right? So, you know, that's, that's the exception to the rule. We want to know from the heads of state, from the direct heads of state, what their plan is to have, take care of veterans. But politics isn't to be involved with what I do here. Part of my job, I feel, is to provide information to the community and then they can discuss it. So it it kind of grinded my gears this week when I saw social media posts talking about veteran homelessness and saying that zero dollars goes to fight veteran homelessness. When I literally read it off about every dollar that is spent in every program in VA to fight that very thing. You know, so far, so far in my count, $1.7 billion has been spent within the last 365 days. The American Rescue Plan, the CARES Act, and the Normal Appropriations Bill equaled $1.7 billion between two administrations and two separate Congresses. $700 million in direct support to fight veteran homelessness, and another $1 billion, with a B, to fund state VA homes, which keep a roof over many of our older veterans' heads. And I'll be reading off that one here right after this. My point is, if the argument is return on investment, outcomes, fine. But to say there are $0 going to support homeless veterans is is just flat wrong. And before we influence our veteran community, before setting the stage for an intelligent conversation that can support the community, we need to do a better job at checking the facts first. If, if you have a basic fact that is that wrong, you lose the credibility of your entire argument. And we can do better than that. All right, busy week getting off my soapbox. Uh, I've got, count them, six news releases. But they all pertain to you, so I'll be brief, but we're going to go through them. First one says, for immediate release, the Department of Veterans Affairs and American Red Cross announced a partnership to boost volunteer recruitment efforts for the department's Compassionate Contact Corps program, which provides companionship to veterans experiencing social isolation during the COVID-19 pandemic. The program allows physicians, chaplains, nurses, and social workers to pair volunteers with veterans who are experiencing loneliness, are at risk of social isolation, or could benefit from a companion. Veterans and volunteers are matched based on common interests with volunteers making regular phone or video calls to veterans. Volunteers must be 18 years of age or older, successfully pass a background check, and complete training on confidentiality, privacy, customer service, empathy, compassion, active listening, and boundaries. Volunteers do not have to be veterans or clinicians. Veterans who are interested in participating require a referral by a VA clinician. Interested volunteers can find available opportunities at their local VA or at www.redcross.org forward slash volunteer forward slash volunteer hyphen role hyphen finder dot html. Okay, next one says for immediate release, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs awarded a contract in mid-March to transform the operation of the GI Bill to a digital platform, improving education benefits and customer service delivery to nearly 1 million students served each year. Referred to as the Digital GI Bill, this platform will enable VA to call, email, text, and chat with GI Bill beneficiaries, grant the VA immediate access to beneficiary records, and respond to questions from colleges and universities instantaneously. VA is using $243 million, okay, here we go, the investment, under the CARES Act to support the digital GI Bill modernization overhaul. 
For more information on the GI Bill, visit www.benefits.va.gov forward slash benefits. Okay, number three, for immediate release. This year's Department of Veterans Affairs Center for Women Veterans 2021 Trailblazers Women Veterans Leading the Way campaign celebrates the contributions of 27 women veterans representing all military branches during and after the military service. The campaign showcases the impact that these trailblazers have made on a single event or action or demonstrated over time in areas of education, employment, entrepreneurship, homelessness, law, mental health, and wellness. Learn more about the 2021 Women Trailblazers at www.va.gov forward slash womenvet forward slash CWV forward slash trailblazers 2021.asp. You can also follow the Center for Women Veterans on Facebook and Twitter at VA Women Vets. Okay, fourth one says for immediate release, the Department of Veterans Affairs released a mobile app on March 18th that offers step by step guidance for those who are trying to support someone they care about and for those who are concerned about their own emotional well-being. Developed by the Prevents Office, the How We Reach coaching tool includes five actions to take when reaching out to someone in need or when you are reaching out for help yourself. It provides additional resource information and suggested language to use when starting that often very difficult conversation. The tool is a key component of REACH, the first ever national public health campaign focused on suicide prevention. Established in July of 2020, REACH aims to engage everyone with a goal of changing the culture of mental health and preventing suicide among veterans and all Americans. It was developed with the help of military and veteran service organizations and in collaboration with other organizations that have pledged to assist with the dissemination of this potentially life-saving app. This is apparently not on any app store. To download, you have to go to reach.gov forward slash resources forward slash tool. And then you get a prompt to download on your device. Uh, I was on my PC when I went there myself and I haven't downloaded it yet. Number five says for immediate release, the Department of Veterans Affairs recently announced the strategic review of the electronic health record modernization program after Secretary Dennis McDonough's initial assessment of the program within its first month in office. And we actually talked about the the whole program a little bit in this episode. The strategic review consists of a full assessment of the ongoing electronic health record modernization program to ensure continued success for all future EHR deployments. This assessment period will not exceed 12 weeks. VA's ongoing analysis of the MAN Grand Staff initial operating capability post-deployment activities have precipitated the need to a schedule shift. While Columbus is currently scheduled to remain as the next go-live site, the order of subsequent deployments may be revised as a result of the strategic review. So it looks like they're identifying pain points and fixing them up. I, I personally hope to see it all cleared up because... Getting the DOD and VA health record systems to talk to one another in an electronic form will be a great thing for veterans. No more, it'll no, it'll no longer be incumbent on the veteran to scan it into the VA system, which is great. Okay, and the last one says, and this is the one I was talking about earlier on my soapbox, for immediate release, the Department of Veterans Affairs announced it will make grants totaling $1 billion with a B to state veteran homes operated across the country to ensure residents continue to receive high quality care, live in modern, safe facilities, and are protected from the COVID-19 pandemic. VA is appreciative to Congress for providing the funding for these grants in the American Rescue Plan, 
the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act as they were amends to the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021. Uh, saw a lot of memes out there, again, saw a lot of memes out there in social media land about veterans not receiving any funding. I'm here to tell you, $1.7 billion in funding within the last year between two administrations and between two Congresses to fight just veteran homelessness and to support housing veterans in state veteran homes. Okay, I'm off it. I'm off it. I'm off it. I'm off it. But I'm going to break this part down for you. For the most recent funding included in the American Rescue Plan, $500 million to provide grants through current capital grant program for construction of state veteran homes, $250 million designated for grants related to the operating needs based on each state's share of total veteran residents in nursing home and domiciliary care, $150 million from the CARES Act designated for grants for capital needs for construction funds to modify billions to prepare, prevent, or respond in order to mitigate the risk of COVID-19 and $100 million designated by the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021 for grants for emergency payments to existing state veteran homes to prevent, prepare, or respond to COVID-19. To learn more about state veteran homes, go to www.va.gov forward slash geriatrics forward slash pages forward slash state underscore veterans underscore homes dot ASP. All right, so promoing this week's guest for the past couple of weeks didn't jinx us. It stayed on schedule. All right, right? And I hope this is a, and I hope that is a start of a good trend. This week's guest is the new boss. And just like with any of our secretaries, I hope it's the first of many appearances here on Born the Battle. So without further ado, I bring to you the 11th Secretary of Veterans Affairs, Dennis McDonough. Enjoy. And we're live. Uh, Secretary Dennis, the relentless McDonough. Uh, thank you for coming on Born the Battle. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really psyched to be here. Uh, first one on camera, by the way, um, trying this out for the first time. The uh, the studio, you know, with the CDC guidelines, we, we you know, yep. we're, in, we're, we're honestly, we're actually in the same studio yep. right now, but um, uh, they did a really good job uh, making it look uh, like we're, you know, we, that way we can have our masks off and have a good conversation. I, I, I love it. I love it. Um, now, you know why I, I dubbed you the relentless, correct? I, I have a, I have a hunch. <laughs> um, during the hearing, I was counting, you know, I was kind of playing a game with myself, how many times you were saying relentless and you were saying relentless uh, for for many things on on behalf of veterans. You're gonna you're gonna fight for this and that. Why did that word keep coming up in your in your mind in the middle of that confirmation hearing? Yeah, it's it's really good question, and and I think for a couple of reasons. One is um, you're talking to a lot of different people in a confirmation hearing. <laughs> First and foremost, obviously, you're talking to the senators uh, to you know because. This is a really important constitutional responsibility they have, advising consent. Um, so I wanted them to hear my seriousness, and it's really hard sometimes to find words that, of that, that kind of match the emotion. I, I say to people, if I could hire on one attribute, I would hire not on where you went to school or not on kind of. Uh, where you come from, I would hire on hunger. And I was thinking about that for the hearing. I was trying to think, what, what's the adjective? 
that I would use to quantify my hunger in demonstrating to the senators, to the president, by the way, because he's the one who gave me assignment that said I need to be a staunch advocate for veterans. Mm -hmm. So I wanted him to hear it. And then, of course, maybe most importantly, I wanted veterans to hear it. And I wanted them to hear a word that connoted this sense of hunger for doing this job. Because you got to be hungry to do this, do this job well, I think. Yeah. And relentlessness is what I came up with for as the proxy for that. You talk about uh, being asked to do this job, and you were you were a former White House chief of staff. Um, did you did you think this was going to be an easier job? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> has anybody ever told you that this is not an easy job? Uh, well, I, <laughs> I what I know is that this is a job. I, I, I guess what I think about when I think about opportunities to serve, hmm. I think about mission, and I think about the people you get to work with. Okay, and. So when the president, he was president-elect at the time, when, when, when he called and he uh, offered me the assignment, uh, I went first to a mission. Okay. And I thought, what better, more honorable mission than to serve our vets? There is none. But then I also went to the people, right? Not only the people that you get to serve, but the people you get to work with. And, you know, I got a chance to see a lot of really great leaders come through VA or, you know, spend their careers at VA. And, you know, so people like Bob McDonald come to mind, Sloan, sure. Sloan Gibson, uh, Tony Principi. Uh, Jim Nicholson. I just spent time with both of them on the phone, uh, well, on video yesterday. What did y'all talk um, about? Uh, I asked for, for their advice. Okay. You yeah. know, uh, I'm trying to, I'm continuing a tradition that I, I, I followed uh, in the White House from Josh Bolton. He was President Bush's last chief of staff. Okay. He hosted a dinner, a lunch for incoming chief of staff, Rahm Emanuel, and all the living chiefs of staff. So I continued that in 2016 for Reince Priebus. So we had, you know, about 17 of the living chiefs of staff back, Republicans and Democrats, fully off the record yeah. discussion. But it was really valuable to be able to share unvarnished advice. I think in that position you need that. Well, and yeah. in this position you need it too. So, <laughs> so that's that's why I reached out to all the formers and uh, outstanding. You know, uh, Secretary Wilkie's got other responsibilities right now, so he couldn't make it. And uh, Secretary McDonald had a speech, and uh, Secretary Peake also. So we'll do we'll do a couple rounds of this. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, that's good to hear. Uh, get get advice from former. That's uh, absolutely. Um, now you were also hit up in that hearing by many congressmen about uh, about community care. Someone yes. didn't ensure someone didn't ensure community care stayed. Some yeah. didn't. Um, some wanted it to go away completely. Uh, what I didn't see a lot of is that nobody referenced what veterans wanted. Yeah. Uh, or they didn't say what they heard from their constituents about what they wanted. What did you see or what did you pick up on in those exchanges about that about that particular item? It's really interesting. Um, 
it, it's it's interesting that you say that. Now, I, I guess I want to before answering the question specifically, I want to just mention that off and on over the course of the last three weeks since I've been here, yes, sir, I've just picked up the phone and called some veterans to get their advice. Um, so especially 10 days ago, we spent a lot of time calling veterans in Texas and Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, how do you do, how, how do you go about doing that? You know? Well, I talked to, uh, to Ray Kelly, uh, who is our VSO liaison. And I said, Ray, I, I, and this is based on good advice from Rich Stone, Dr. Stone. Uh, I kept asking as the storm got worse and worse, I said, what, what are we, what need to, what do we need to be worried about that I'm not asking about? Mm. And Rich kept bringing it back to vulnerable vets, somebody who's at home on oxygen and all of a sudden doesn't have power. Um, somebody whose, you know, telephony is, you know, fully based on, you know, power. Yeah. How are we in touch with them? Yeah, especially because a couple of weeks ago, that was a big, that was a big deal. No power and yeah. also and no water. Yeah. Especially in it, Texas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so Ray worked with several of our VSOs and uh, we just, I found some people to call and I called them. Well, the reason I bring this up um, is a couple of those vets volunteered their observations on community care without me having asked about it. Oh, wow. I asked for advice. I, well, I asked how they were doing, were they getting everything they needed. Then I asked for advice on how to handle the job. Uh, and two of the vets volunteered that sight unseen. So your point is a good one, which is it's on front of mind for our vets. So now what about in the hearing? Um, well, you know, in, this is why I think the president has asked me to be an advocate for vets. Yes, sir. He wants me to see the questions here, the policy questions from the eyes of the vets. And that's why I've focused so much on, um, you know, focusing on access and outcomes. And um, nevertheless, even though the debates in Washington sometimes don't, you know, verbalize that the vet is front and center in a policymaker's mind, sure. they're trying to get at kind of how do we make this big structure work? Oh, of course. And so, so it's a what, big ship with a tiny rudder. Exactly. Yeah. And hard to turn so, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so what I heard, so when you say what did I hear? What I heard is making sure that we fulfill two principles. One is access to care, timely access to care. Sure. For vets. Absolutely. And then the other principle is maintenance of the integrated system that the VA is in uh, world-class fashion. And what you and, and the reason that those principles, those two principles sometimes appear to be in conflict, although I think they need not be, is because a lot of times here in, in Washington the, the, the discussions the discussions are more about dollars and cents. Mm. And so the question that I think we have to figure out going forward is how are we making sure that we are getting the dollars into uh, the world-class integrated health system that is the VA while also getting dollars to our vets who need timely access to care in the community and making sure that those don't come at cross purposes. Yeah. And that's a trick. 
No, it's it's, it's tipsy. Yeah, it could, be, it could it could tip one either way. One you know one or the other. Real exactly, quick. Yeah. which is why we're going to be really clear about this. And you know, I've had a really good conversation uh, going back now two months with uh, Senator Moran on it. Uh, also, really good conversation with uh, Chairman Tester, Senator Sanders, former Chairman Sanders. Oh. Um, and so uh, I think this is going to be one of the issues that's going to have to be uh, front and center for us. Very good. Very good. Uh, you mentioned also in the hearing, greatest impact to veteran, whatever the greatest impact to veteran. That was going to be one of your, your priorities. Um, when you say greatest impact to veteran, what did you mean by that? Uh, how do you determine greatest impact? Is it, is it through studies, polls, service prioritizing veterans' choice? Yeah. Is it a mixture of all of that? Um, how do you prioritize greatest impact? Yeah. So I think, I think there's – I think I'd say a couple things about that. First of all, impact, especially on healthcare but also on benefits. Sure. Can be measured in terms of access – and in terms of outcomes, quantifiable outcomes to the health of the vet, to uh, renewal, rejuvenation, new opportunities. Yeah. Um, and those, so outcomes, we have to be very focused on. Uh, sometimes we get over focused on what we're putting into the system. We get under focused on what we're getting out of it, and what we what we have to focus on in terms of outputs has to be outputs for vets, quality of life, healthcare performance. If we're putting a shiny new toy into the system, it better have a, a good outcome. Right. Or yeah. if we're if we're arguing that we're doing a great job of because of how much we're spending, instead of arguing that we're doing a good job because of the outcomes that veterans are getting. That's what I mean. So best efficiency out of the money that we're putting into something. Best efficiency, but also best outcome for the vet yeah. is is that knee surgery working? Yeah. Can he get back to doing what he wants to do? Yeah. Is our are we effectively taking veterans off the street? Yes. With with what we with the money that we're putting in, and not just taking them off the street, but also getting them into jobs yeah. commensurate with their skills and their experience. Exactly. Uh, ensuring that our investments in mental health are um, helping as it relates to substance use disorder. Good. And so so I want to make sure that we're focused on outcomes and we have to measure those. That's one. Two is this is why the Veterans Experience Office is so important. And, you know, we, we just got a new uh, director of that office, John Bursler. So, He's right up your alley. He's a Marine. Uh, uh, but he's <laughs> he's from uh, Houston. Yeah. Uh, and the first couple of days, by the way, he's joining our meetings after he swore in. He's he's joining our meetings from his phone because he doesn't have water power in his house oh, either. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, and just this is really important because I got a, I got a note over the weekend from a spouse in Wyoming. She hadn't seen her husband in a year. He's in a VA retirement home. She'd seen him through a window, but she hadn't oh, been wow. with him. So she, he had just gotten his second shot. She said she was about to get his. She was so eager to see him, right? She contacted our office and, you know, uh, because of the good work of, of John and Debbie Bevins and, um, you know, 
Jackie, Coley, and a couple others, she got to see her husband. Wow. The first time in a year, which is great. Yeah. But when we have an office that's that's solely focused on the veteran experience, what is all the services we're providing, how are they being experienced by the vet? Well, they have, they have all the data for that. Exactly right. They have all the data with their V signals and, and the survey. And that's why it's so important when veterans go to the go to the VA hospital, like take those take those surveys because totally. you're reading them. Yep. You know, yep. Uh, that the, the Veterans Experience Office is actually getting that and they're reporting it to yep. you. So uh, so that's the second thing. Let me say the last thing, Tanner, which yes, is sir. That, that this is so. So and there's there's ways for us to do that in st statistically significant ways and, and all that stuff. And so that's important. And that, as you say, it's really important that vets take those surveys. Sure. But then the last thing is. I just want to underscore that what the vet experience experiences is important to the performance and to the uh, our quantification of whether we're doing well, right? That's what I call actionable intelligence, right? Yes, sir. Which is we want to know what that is, and the free flow of that information should be the lifeblood of a well-functioning -fun organization because then we know what the experience is. We know, by the way, because we're keeping data on what the outcome is, uh, are the health interventions working? improving quality of life, but also what is the individual experience for an individual vet? And if we can run an organization that can use that flow of information and the massive investments that the American taxpayers make in the institutions, then I think we're going to do okay. Very good. Very good. Uh, so on Born the Battle, we always ask veterans, we always ask them about the time that they decided that they joined the military and when they knew that it was going to be the next step in their life. Yeah. Now, you're, you're not a veteran, yep. uh, but you've served in government administrative positions for many years. Yeah. Uh, so I guess a similar question would be, when did you know that the life, when did you know that civil service was going to be the next step yeah. in your life? Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. I still call we were just talking about this. I, I still call myself a Minnesotan. Yeah, um, I, I'm still a Washingtonian. Yeah, yeah. My, but my kids are born here, and they keep telling me, Dad, you know, you say you say you're going home when we go to Minnesota, but you know, <laughs> we were born in Maryland. They say. Um, <laughs> so you know, I grew up in a family with ten brothers and sisters, and a lot of times, I've made decisions in my life by following a brother or a sister somewhere. Just to be perfectly honest with you. Same with me. Right? No, my, my brother was in the Air Force, and so I went to go visit him on base. Totally changed my life. Totally changed my trajectory. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I mean, that's the that's the power of family, right? And mm. the power of siblings. What was that for you? Well, so uh, I was a teacher for a little bit, for two years. And one of my brothers was out here working for a member of Congress, my brother, Sean. Okay. And... Um, you know, when you have seven brothers and three sisters, you're close to some at different times. That's a big family. Closer to some than others, yeah. And so I've, I've always been very close to Sean because he's just older than me. So I, I did what I've done a lot of times in my life, and I followed him out here for graduate school. So he mm. was out here, and I followed him out here for graduate school. Um, but then I saw, fully intending to go back uh, to Minnesota or to go maybe even into kind of um, – uh, working in development, right, and kind of uh, in Central America or something. Still got a lot of family in Minnesota? 
Yeah, still have my, half my brothers and sisters are there. Okay, and a lot of nieces. Fam- and is it a family plot? Is it a no? They're kind okay. of they're kind of everybody's all kind of spread out. Yeah. You know, um, it becomes a f- everybody's house. It sometimes becomes a family plot because we all kind of like converge. <laughs> I think a lot of veterans have the same mindset that you know it's like okay, I'm going to have my career, but eventually, yeah, I'm going to go back home. Yeah. I'm going to go back home. Well, so the, here's my challenge on that is uh, I think Kari, my wife, may think Minnesota's uninhabitable because <laughs> you know, it's so it's so chilly. My wife, uh, my dad has pet raccoons on, on the farm. They come, and f- they come and eat, and my wife's like, I am never <laughs> going to have pet raccoons. I'm never going back there. And, and uh, there was one time I left her at the house. I went to go see my aunt, and... The raccoon showed up with just her in the house, and uh, and she didn't like that too much. I I, I totally understand <laughs> and appreciate that. Um, so so it's been what, sir? It's been what? It's been uh, by the time this drops, probably been a month. Yeah. Or or, or yeah. Know, roughly a month. How's it going so far? How is this? How is this going so far? Like I said, it's not an easy gig. No, I, you were saying before, you know, did anybody tell you it was harder than everything else? It is. It's, it's a hard job. It's a great job, and it's a great job because of the mission and because of the people. Yeah. Um, I think, um, I don't know. I, I, I would, I would how is it going? I'd answer this way. One is I'm going to let other people say how it's going because I think there's we have a lot of people who are getting the service from VA who will have a view on that. I and, like that answer. And that's, I like that answer. That, uh that's the first part of the answer. Second part of the answer is I'm having a lot of fun. Okay. And I'm really getting into this. The uh, issues are really difficult, but but you know, the consequential and when and, you have good outcomes, it's gotta be it's gotta be so rewarding. I'll tell you what, when we when uh, the spouse who contacted our office was able to see uh, her, her husband. Yeah. That means something. Sure. You know, and you think about all the families separated by COVID yeah. and the pandemic and the fact that she got to see, be with her husband, it's really consequential. So, or vaccinations, you know, the relief that has to be coming from vets, uh, particularly our, you know, the first tranche was 75 and olders, and then now we're on 65 and olders. The fact that they can get a degree of, freedom and um, hope in the context of the pandemic because of this the vaccine is really meaningful. Yeah, as, for, as for current operations, I, I watched and, and you're talking about, uh, you know, recent COVID um, operations within the VA. Uh, we recently highlighted Dr. Stone's comments that he, when he was on Capitol Hill, you pointed that out to me and I was like, oh, that's absolutely, we'll throw it on there. Um, you know, the vaccine is getting administered as soon as it comes through the doors at VA, it seems. Yeah. Um, is that why we're seeing allocations increase? Because every week I'm seeing in the news releases, hey, instead of 150,000, VA is getting 600,000. Yeah. Is that the reason? Partially. I think, I, think, I think everybody, as supply generally grows, every, each of the allotments state by state and then us and other federal partners are getting yeah. more. So there's some of that. But importantly, there's uh, – about two and a half weeks ago, we got a big bonus of about 200,000 additional doses because we are our VHA personnel. We're doing such a bang up job of getting it out the door. 
Yeah. So the nice thing is we're trying to demonstrate in the deployment of our capacity that we can do more. And so that when there yeah, Dr. is Stone more- was, Dr. Stone was even saying that. He was yeah. like, hey, bring me more, bring yeah. me more. Because uh, I, I think he got a question on, on, on the hearing that was like, you know, where are we at? And he's like, I, I got none. You know, yeah. he was like, I got none. Yeah. It is. Um, so, it, so then I, after seeing that, it's funny. It's like, as soon as I saw that, then I started seeing news releases come out from the VA. It was like, hey, instead of 150,600. So I was just wondering if that was one of the reasons that we were getting one, one of the reasons is there's just more supply. Very good. Um, and, but another reason is when there is places that the, you know, the HHS has extra. Yeah. They move it to us because we can move it out fast. Very good. Very good. Um, so, sir, what is your plan? Speaking of vaccine distribution, uh, what is your plan for VA to have an, an inclusive and an equitable vaccine distribution? Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, let me just give you the plan overall. One is we, while we're getting more supply. Yeah. We're demonstrating our capacity to do more, <laughs> you know. So, Doc, you just, you know, yeah, you heard Doc Stone talk about this. We all heard talk, Doc Stone talk about this in, his, this in his testimony. So let's show that we can do more. One, two, let's get more vaccinators, the actual the people who put the, needle the shot in an arm. arm, yeah, right. And what we also know is that for every vaccinator, we need about 10 other people, pharmacists, nurses, others supporting that effort. It's just right. like a, it's just like a grunt that is out in the, in the field. You need the, you need the supply guy. You need right. the exactly. Intel, you need the, exactly. Gotcha. So let's go find those people and be ready. Mm. And so we're looking at a lot of innovative stuff there, looking at, are there, um, veteran organizations that can help us with that? Right. So that'll be interesting. Mm. And then Third is let's demonstrate new capacity. And the new capacity here is mobile units. Let's make sure that we, you know, VA has a lot of mobile units across the country. Let's use those to get to. You're talking like the VA vet centers and that sort exactly. of thing. Exactly. Gotcha, gotcha. Very yeah. Good. And let's get, uh, and and the, the mobile van capacity that can get us to highly rural areas, to rural areas, and to make sure that people who are, you know, who can't, immediately get to a, a med center, get taken care of. And that's the plan. Then we have to make sure that we're getting to all vets, yeah. right? And so far the numbers are pretty good. I've seen some stories. And if you go, if anybody that's listening goes to blogs.va.gov, they can check out the deliveries to rural Alaska, deliveries to rural Montana. Yeah. Those are really cool stories to see. Um, we have you, Are you aware of the coconut network out in the Pacific Islands? I'm not. Yeah, so the, they have something very interesting how they how they get to rural veterans using the coconut network, and they call it. And it's it. kind of like a radio network. They fly planes. It's, it's good stuff. I got to do a, a born the battle. I love it. Benefits breakdown on that. So at some it. point because it's great stuff. But uh, so I'm seeing a focus on rural veterans in the back with when it, when it comes to vaccinations. Yeah. Um, is there going to be an, an overall focus in the in their healthcare moving forward? Yes. You know we have we have Atlas sites for telehealth. Are we going to be opening more of those up? What's uh, so you said yes? So. Yes, and and this is this was a big topic in my consultations on the Hill before confirmation. A big part of the you know, confirmation hearing, yeah. obviously with the chairman from Montana, ranking member from Kansas, um, 
this is a big priority for them, but it's a big priority for me because uh, a lot of our vets are in rural communities. And so you highlighted some of the uh, tools that will continue to, continue to expand. Mm. Um, this question of telehealth and connectivity is going to be uh, continue to be a central piece of how we provide care, but that's going to require us getting help from other federal agencies. So we got to go to the FCC to make sure that they're helping us with broadband. Okay. USDA, the Department of Agriculture, same thing, helping us with broadband. Um, and then we have to make sure that we're investing, and then this gets to community care. We were talking about that before. Yeah. We have to be a good partner at VA. We have to be a good partner with the community providers who take care of our vets when they're in the community. Sure. So that means paying our bills more in a more timely fashion. And oh, yeah, they'll appreciate that. They will appreciate yeah. it. Well, I'll tell you this. They don't appreciate it when we don't. Absolutely. Uh, and Absolutely. But then then this gets to the last point, which is we have to have the not, not just infrastructure, but the people in the rural communities. And so that means really working the network and really working um, to ensure that we have uh, – rural providers um, who are our partners, you know? So I got a good buddy of mine. So reaching uh, out into the community to say, hey. Just be, making be, sure we've got docs and nurses in rural communities across the country. Sure. Which is a, just, a, this is a major challenge for rural country, rural uh, states and rural communities everywhere. Oh yeah. And so. I, I know back home they're, they're talking about right? shutting down the hospital. Exactly Because right. there's not enough people coming in. Exactly uh, right. So mental, how do we keep those people there so that we can that we can uh, work with the local community so that we have shared capacity? Yeah, and that'll be a big part of our effort. And that goes back to the first question you asked around community care, which is we have to do both of these things well. We have to do community care well. And we have to continue to do care in the system well because we need the whole capability. And we're just talking about healthcare. You know, right. mental health. I'm sure it's even probably less capacity in the community. Well, that's a challenge everywhere. Yeah. Rural, urban, suburban, exurban. We have so much demand for mental health care. Here's the good news in that, which is the stigma is going down and people are recognizing that uh, health, the mental health care is as every bit as need needed yeah. as your physical health care. So that's great that people are demanding it. But as people are demanding it, we have to make sure that the supply keeps up. And so sure. telehealth ends up being really important to that. But the integrated care offered by the VA system, you just can't. You can't shake this. By the way, you you got to check out this story uh, in the New York Times yesterday. Yeah. That about say, say that again, so I can. Get yeah, sorry. You you got to check out this story in the New York Times yesterday about a program started by one of our therapists in Madison, okay. Wisconsin. Okay. They've concluded that actually knowing the story of the veteran who's coming into the VA system is actually really critical to the outcome of the care that we provide. Oh, absolutely. Which is pretty straightforward, right? Yeah. Guess what? Guess what? Only the VA is spending the time with the patients to know their story. Have you, I mean, you, do you know we have a podcast on that? I do not know. Yeah. That. It's called My Life, My Story. Love it. Yeah. My Life, My Story. It's uh, what it is. It's, it's veterans stories as read by other people, but it's but it's been, you know, oh my God, the, the, vet, the veterans are, are signed release forms that go with it. And it's just that what's in there, you know, to get, they get to, to get to know them part, 
that you're talking about, yeah. that's we've made it into a podcast. So anybody can go on right now if you're looking at this and you're like, oh, that sounds cool. It's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff. I'll listen to, I'll listen to and, it on my run home tonight. And, and we're actually looking at getting, and I, of course, I'm speaking on behalf of the producer of it, but uh, they're getting like veteran actors to I actually read the stories. Well, so. that, well, you guys got to check out the story in the Times then. I mean, okay. the, the point is that it just makes this case, right? Which is we're not just all a collection of symptoms, Yeah. right? We're all people with stories and with hard-earned stories. And look, I also happen to believe that we're all made in the image of God and we have dignity as a result thereof. Yeah. And so we got to make sure that we, we are leading the charge in how we care for our vets, recognizing that, the whole health of that person and that person's story. Absolutely. Good stuff. Um, I saw a news story last month. Uh, the VA House Committee voted to fund VA with $15 billion dollars. Uh, for the role in the American Rescue Plan, has that? Where where are we at on that? Fifteen billion is a lot of coin. Yeah, look, it's uh, a good, it's a big part of it, and I'll tell you, thirteen and a half billion of that goes to healthcare at VHA. Okay, and I'll just give you two data points, which I think are pretty remarkable. Since the start of the pandemic, nineteen million appointments at v VA facilities across the country changed, uh, deferred postponed. So 19 million appointments means care has been deferred. And if care is deferred, it could be that the treatment of that care when it actually comes around may be a little bit more expensive. So okay. that's why we need the money. Okay. That's one statistic, 19 million. Another statistic, uh, March 2020, telehealth appointments per day in the whole VA system, about 2,500. It's 2,487 a day. Wow. February 2021, about 45,000 a day. So it's like 44,870, something like that. <laughs> wow. So you go from 2,500 a day to 44,000 Yeah. Day. And then you ask yourself, how are we doing that? And there's a lot of different ways we're doing it, but... Uh, as many of your listeners know, some vets have gotten tablets, yeah. iPads, and have gotten connectivity to the internet so they can do their telehealth appointments with their docs. Yeah. If you're doing 45,000 appointments a day, uh, people got to have the, the hardware and the software and the connectivity to do that. Yeah. So that's another big part of that. Absolutely, absolutely, very good. Um, as one of the first things that, that you did here was 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 issue a memo asking the VA to review policies and and determine uh, how to make the department more inclusive for yeah. LGBTQ veterans yeah. and employees. What was the impetus behind that? That was like one of the first things that you did. Yes. Uh, what prompted that? And was it was. Yeah, look, I th it, what prompted it is my view that we have to be a VA that serves all veterans, Yeah. full stop. And uh, what we've seen is that different parts of the government, DOD, uh, HHS, and elsewhere, are making decisions and changes. And I'm most uh, acutely aware of staying 
consistent with where DOD is so that we can provide the full range of services to the vets that come out of EA. Uh, sorry, that come out of DOD. Okay. And so that was one part of it, right? Or the second part of it. One. Well, just make sure be, you take care of all vets. And it's correct. Just, yeah. 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 So one, let's be inviting and, and, uh, and open to all vets. Two, let's make sure that anybody who's served has access to the full suite of care. Sure. Um, yeah. And so it's it's basically a kind of a combination of uh, right thing to do and common sense. Yeah. Yeah, so. of course. Yeah. I, I just didn't know if it was something that you saw beforehand that prompted that or was it more of no. a proactive thing? Like, hey, coming in, just know this. Yeah. Just like, gotcha. like let's just let's just get there. Very good. Very good. Um, now, everything that we covered, is this is this all part of your 100-day plan? Um, you know, much like an, I've heard Romans that you had a 100-day plan, much like a, a presidential uh, <laughs> administration. Uh, is that true? Well, I like what I any- what I like about 100-day plan idea is I like being put on the clock. Okay. Right. The most no pressure, no diamonds. No pressure, no diamonds. But look, we are here to serve veterans, right? Guess who else is on the clock? Veterans, they're living their lives. Absolutely. And we want to make sure that we're providing care and services, benefits on their timeline, mm-hmm. not on Washington's, not on mine, but on theirs. Yeah. So the idea that really appeals to me about having like us on the clock, whether that's a 100-day plan or otherwise, is that I want to make sure that we're responsive to vets in the lives that they're living right now and the needs that they have right now. That's one. And two is... There are some things that are overdue. Okay. Right? The pandemic, we just have to get our hands around that. So that's going to be priority number one until we're through it, whether that's the vaccination and the care or whether that's getting ahead of things like, you know, the backlog that's resulted in benefits claims because of uh, the pandemic or whether that's related to uh, the fact that uh, we suspended debt collection uh, because of the pandemic, making sure that people are not squeezed by the economic outcome of this thing. But then also other stuff, which is, you know, to be honest with you, it's overdue. And we owe it to the vets. The electronic medical health record, that's one. Okay. Let's just get that thing on track. Let's hold ourselves to account on it and let's get it done. I think, you know, and I hope in the future, veterans don't have to deal with it. And, you know, the electronic health record is such a good idea because I remember getting every single one piece of my health records and having to scan it into the VA, like on base, yep. you know, and, and I can't wait for the day that veterans are like, you know, they don't even think that's a thing. Yeah. You know, that's not going to be a thing. It's just like, it's there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's what the, you know, like all the, and it was, it was incumbent on you as the veteran, as you in the Marine Corps. Yeah. You know, it was, it was incumbent on, so if you weren't proactive about it or you didn't know about it, if your staff, if your staff and CO officers didn't tell you to do that, it didn't happen. So it's so good that, I mean, yeah, it, people may overlook the electronic health yeah. record, but as someone that had to live through that. It, I, it, and let's, let's get it from kind of a good idea to actual, actually real life. Like you say, you know, I can't tell you all, how many times my kids, like, here's a good example. I'll call somebody. I'm with my kids. I'll leave a voice message on their voicemail and I'll leave my phone number. And every time I leave my phone number, they just crack up. And I'm like, why do you guys crack up about the phone number? And they're you like, boomer. that's not a thing. Like your phone number registers on that guy's phone. That's no. not a thing. So 
we're going to get to the point where people are like, the paper medical record, that's not a thing. Yeah. Let's get on I, with it. I can't wait for the for the day to see that. I, I mean, yeah. you know, we did a we did a benefits breakdown that'll be coming up on that as well. Um, so, sir, I, you know, I I did reach out to a couple of veterans, or I did reach out to the podcast in itself for the past couple of weeks. I said, "Hey, if you have a question for the secretary, I booked him. He's coming on. Can you ask a question? Do you mind?" I, taking- I might want to surprise you in the future, so you can't, you know, trap me with these hard questions. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think I'll, I'll, you, I'll hey, I'm coming sir, tomorrow. Sir, I'm always going to have questions. Yeah, I'm always going to have questions from the, from, from the audience. No, no, it's good. It's good. Um, do you mind answering a couple? I'd love to. Okay. I'd love to. Uh, first one says, uh, this was from Master Sergeant James S. Calvert, Jr., U.S. Air Force, retired. Email this here at, at podcast at va.gov. That's our email. says, why does VA no longer cover chiropractic, chiropractic, excuse me, chiropractic care massage therapy? VA was covering my chiropractor visits back in 2016, but when it expired and I tried to renew, I was told it was no longer a covered service. I also saw a chiropractor on base when I was on active duty in both instances. It and massage therapy were way more effective than physical therapy. So the bottom line is that we do still cover chiropractic and massage therapy. And so... I'm not sure who told him that, but the answer is that we do. So uh, we'll be happy to provide more information on that. Okay. Uh, So um, let's let's figure out how to get in touch with him. In fact, we can just put somebody on the blower with him. Okay, Uh, James, if if, you know if you're if you're watching this, please feel free to email me again, and and we'll get it. You know, we'll find out what's going on. Um, And 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 first of all, you know, sir, appreciate you taking these. I want you to, you know, if if you come on again, please, you're invited anytime. Please feel free to see this podcast as a communication medium. I'd love for, to. For veterans. I'd love to. It's also it's also for fun. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, question two. This is from anonymous army veteran. So I, I, he has to be anonymous. Um, is there going to be? Is there going to be a look into the consistency of how the VA schedule and rating disability is applied either with the training of VA employees? Who give ratings, or with the current interpretation of the VASRD? Yeah. You know, I've seen yeah. a lot of veterans get rated differently for literally the same issues, and I think what he's asking for is what I think he's asking for is, you know, what's the quality uh, assurance in the, in the training for for those that do the ratings? Yeah. So um, the the fact is that we do spend uh, we do have invest a lot in training. Okay. I think he's asking like, hey, why, why aren't you? Doing some training, and and the short answer is we are, and we will continue to to do more. And in fact, in the bill that you and I were discussing a couple minutes ago, the American Rescue Plan, there is uh, increased investment for training over at uh, the VBA, the Benefits Administration, exactly gotcha. to ensure that uh, we get raiders up to speed, so they can. Um, make these rating decisions uh, in a timely manner uh, and in a consistent manner. Uh, And by consistent, I mean consistent with what um, the circumstances demand. And so there is training. uh, There's no doubt that we can do a better job of it, and we will continue to do that. And I can do an episode on that too. I think I I think I can do an episode on that, and and we could talk about how these – are being trained and, and, and we can break it out and, and really talk about the, 
the the VASRD, the schedule and rating yeah. disability. You know who would be great? Uh, you probably already had him on, but Tom Murphy, who's the acting undersecretary for benefits. So acting undersecretary for VBA. Okay. Career employee? Career employee. Yeah. He's now out in St. Louis. Okay. He's terrific. Okay. Uh, he gave remarks yesterday at the Legion. In fact, I called him this morning to say, hey, send me your remarks. I'd love to read them because I, I read all the press on them. The remarks are great. Um, but he gets he, he can get really into this question on what okay. are we doing to train, um, and he's got it down to like how what what are the timelines on which we can do this to ensure that we're training better, okay, for better outcomes. I think I'll do one since we got, I mean we got an email about it. Um, yeah, it. absolutely. Um, well, Mr. Secretary, uh, I hope you come back. For, to, to, if to, you'll have me, I'll come back. Outstanding. Uh, maybe in a you could, maybe in a hundred days, you can tell me how the hundred days went. Let's do it. All right. Very Let's good. Let's do it. Um, again, I, I hope you see Born in the Battle is a personal connection between you and veterans, um, and and of course the journalists and the VSOs Absolutely. and all the all the stakeholders that, that listen to this, this show. Um, you know, and even though I work at VA, uh, it's not very often a veteran gets to interview uh, an, an incoming secretary. So really. I appreciate your time and, and, and thank you for that. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It's a, I, I was, I've really been looking forward to it um, and I look forward to coming back on. And I just, uh, let me just say one other thing, which is, you know, Secretary Principi said yesterday, uh, President Bush used to say to him, take care of our veterans. They're our nation's most precious citizens. And I thought to myself, you know, that's pretty awesome. I think that's right. And so it's great to be on a podcast with you, but it's an unbelievable honor to be the secretary of this department and, and to get the chance to work on behalf of our nation's vets, our most precious citizens. Outstanding, sir. Uh, again, appreciate the time. Well, awesome. you're welcome back anytime. Thanks. I want to thank the secretary for his time. For more information on Secretary McDonough, he has a very active official Twitter account, which is at SecVetAffairs, and he's been writing a lot of op-eds and messages on our vantage, on our blog, VantagePoint, at blogs.va.gov, and we hope to have him back soon. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is from one of our listeners. Mary Ellen Salzano wrote into our Born the Battle email here at podcast at va.gov. She writes, I want to nominate and give kudos to Army veteran Justice Eileen Moore for her recent California Department of Veterans Affairs Trailblazer Award. Justice Moore served as a combat nurse in Vietnam in 1966. For over a decade, Moore has volunteered as a mentor primarily to women veterans in Orange County Superior Veterans Courts, which revealed to her how many women veterans have been impacted as she also had my military sexual trauma. She has committed herself to address military sexual trauma and the causes of veteran homelessness. Moore chairs and was the impetus behind the 2008 formation of the California Judicial Council of Veterans and Military Families Subcommittee. A highlight of this almost invisible committee is the curriculum development to train volunteer lawyers to represent veterans who are serving life sentences in prison before the Board of Parole hearings. California also has 34 veteran treatment courts. And this committee has set up a listserv so that information and education can be easily accessed and shared. Moore also serves on the military veterans committees for bar associations across the government, including the Standing Committee for Armed Forces Law, as well as the Veterans Health Committee. 
She is also an advisor to the Veterans and Military Families Committee for the California Lawyers Association. At the county level, she is an advisor for the Orange County Bar Association's Veterans and Military Families Committee. Moore is also a founding member of U.S. Vets Women Advisory Committee, a life member of the Vietnam Veterans of America, and Local Chapter 785, a life member of AMVETS, a member of the American Legion Chapter 291, and communicates with the local chapter of the Veterans of Foreign Wars. Finally, Justice Moore is a prolific writer, a published author, and a sought-after facilitator, moderator, keynote speaker, and presenter on issues impacting military veterans and families. Army veteran Justice Eileen Moore, thank you for your service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, just like Mary Ellen did. Include a short write-up and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcasting app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. And if you got a little uh, Google Echo or Amazon uh, doohickey, we're on there too. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, Pinterest, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. I say that because the song you're hearing now is called Machine Gunner, which is courtesy of the nonprofit Operation Song and was written by Marine veteran Mark Milkilhenny, Nashville songwriter Jason Seaver, and Michael Duncan. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care. We gotta get them one way or the other. Machine gun. bullets fly day and night rain. Simplify till we're another campaign. My desk is a rock where the drug lords cut up millions. My pen is a 7.62 round that'll cut them down in an instant. Made bullet in my back Raining down lead Punching that clock Get them boys, I'm laying down Cover machine gunner Bullets fly, day and night rain Simplify, do or die Another campaign Here we go, lock and load Oh, 331, lug a thousand rounds And I ain't bringing back one